Invited to stand for the reading of the gospel lesson. The gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ according to St. John. Now, a certain man was ill, Lazarus, Bethany, the village of Mary and her sister Martha. Mary was the one who anointed the Lord with perfume and wiped his feet with her hair. Her brother Lazarus was ill, so the sisters sent a message to Jesus. Lord, he whom you love is ill. But when Jesus heard it, he said, this illness does not lead to death. Rather, it is for God's glory, so that the Son of God may be glorified through it. Accordingly, though, Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus. After having heard that Lazarus was ill, he stayed two days longer in the place where he was. Then after this, his disciples, he said to the disciples, let's go to Judea again. And the disciples said to him, Rabbi, the, the Jews were just now trying to stone you, and were, are you going to go there again? And Jesus answered, are there not 12 hours of daylight? Those who walk during the day do not stumble because they see the light of this world, but those who walk at night stumble because the light is not in them. After saying this, he told them, our friend Lazarus has fallen asleep, but I'm going there to awaken him. The disciples said to him, Lord, if he's fallen asleep, he will be all right. Jesus, however, had been speaking about his death, but they thought that he was referring merely to sleep. Then Jesus told them plainly, Lazarus is dead. Now, for your sake, I'm glad I was not there so that you may believe, but let us go to him. Now, Thomas, who was called the twin, said to his fellow disciples, let us go also that we may die with him. And when Jesus arrived, he found that Lazarus was already, had already been in the tomb for four days. Now, Bethany, it was near Jerusalem, some two miles away. And many of the Jews had come to Martha and Mary to console them about their brother. When Martha heard that Jesus was coming, she went and she met him while Mary stayed at home. And Martha said to Jesus, Lord, if you'd been here, my brother would not have died. But even now I know that you will give what, uh, God will give you whatever you ask. And Jesus said to her, your brother will rise again. And Martha said to him, I know that he will rise again in the resurrection on the last day. And Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. Those who believe in me, even though they die, will live. And everyone who lives and believes in me will never die. Do you believe this? And she said to him, yes, Lord, I believe that you are the Messiah, the Son of God, the one coming into the world. And when she had said this, she went back, called her sister Mary, and told her privately, the teacher's here, and he's calling for you. And when she heard it, she got up quickly and went to him. Now Jesus had not yet come to the village, but he was still at the place where Martha had met him. And the Jews who were with her in the house, consoling her, saw Mary get up quickly and go out. 
They followed her because they thought that she was going to the tomb to weep there. When Mary came where Jesus was and saw him, she knelt at his feet and said to him, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. When Jesus saw her weeping and the Jews who came with her also weeping, he was greatly disturbed in spirit and deeply moved. He said, where have you laid him? And they said to him, Lord, come and see. Jesus began to weep. So the Jews said, see how he loved him. But some of them said, could not he who opened the eyes of a blind man have kept this man from dying? Then Jesus, again, greatly disturbed, came to the tomb. It was a cave, and a stone was lying against it. Jesus said, take away the stone. Martha, the sister of the dead man, said to him, Lord, already there's a stench because he's been dead for four days. And Jesus said to her, Did I not tell you that if you believed, you would see the glory of God? And so they took away the stone, and Jesus looked upwards and said, God, I thank you for having heard me. I knew that you always hear me, but I've said this for the sake of the crowd standing here so that they might believe that you sent me. And when he said this, he cried with a loud voice, Lazarus, come out. And the dead man came out, his hands and feet bound with strips of cloth, his face wrapped in a cloth. Jesus said to him, unbind him, let him go. Many of the Jews, therefore, who had come with Mary and had seen what Jesus did, believed in him. The grass withers, the flower fades, but the word of our God stands forever, the gospel of the Lord. You may be seated. Seven years separate me from my youngest brother. And stuck in between us, we had a sister, another brother. So life in our house as a kid was total enemy. Many of my friends from Catholic families at the time still believed in the old ways and lived like an organically grown Brady Bunch. But, I mean, let's be honest, when you get past five kids or so, the number of years between them starts adding up, and the bigger uh, ones can, you know, start to help care for the younger ones. But if you all got four kids fairly tightly packed into a scant seven years, and if the oldest of those four has already been nicknamed the absent-minded professor, and if you're a mom in that traditional family model, then out of necessity, you, you have no choice but to become a weasel wrangler. And my mom was an old cow hand, as Bing Crosby used to sing, who never roped a steer but had plenty of experience rounding up strays. As a parent of three children, I have a greater appreciation for my mom's ability to ride herd over all of that chaos. The Sunday morning, my house as a kid, uh, for instance, my mom had to get herself and four kids ready for church and out the door. And if we weren't in the car at some beastly hour, like nine o'clock on the dot, 
Well, we heard about it. And whoever failed to be in their assigned vinyl seat in the Chrysler New Yorker when my dad was ready to leave would hear about it. Along with all the other neighbors in a two-block radius, my dad was a honker. He could blow that horn like Gabriel at Jesus' return. My dad mastered the art of impatience and was ready on Sunday mornings to let the world know that his family was, you know, kind of a bunch of slackers and layabouts. But you know, don't worry, because he had this magic button that would let the world know he had the whole thing in hand. I mean, we knew who was in charge. Look, let's be honest. In this story, doesn't Jesus get under your skin just a little bit? I mean, don't, don't look at me like that. I mean, you know exactly what I'm talking about, right? Lord, he whom you love is ill. And what does Jesus say? <sighs> don't worry about it. It's not, a, it's not an illness that leads to death. It is, it's for God's glory, so that the Son of God may be glorified through it. Well, how do you like that, huh? Ah, this is going to be all right. Besides, as one author Riley notes, it'll make a great sermon illustration. I mean, what kind of comfort do you think that gave Mary and Martha, let alone Lazarus? And then what does Jesus do? Does he call a power breakfast and say, look, fellas, I know we, got, we had plans, but we, we, we got more important business. I mean, we got to get to Bethany to see Lazarus. So you just drop what you're doing and pack. No, the text says, after hearing that Lazarus was ill, he stayed two days longer in the place where he was. Now, we might cut Jesus a little slack if it said, after having heard that Lazarus was ill, he stayed two days longer in the place where he was until he finished raising the dead there, and then he went. I mean, we could understand that. But it doesn't say that, does it? I mean, we have no idea what kept him from jumping in the 72 New Yorker and heading out to see his pal. Maybe he was stuck doing his taxes, taking uh, the name of TurboTax in vain. Or perhaps he had an appointment for a haircut. Well, that doesn't, that doesn't really track, does it? I mean, we all know Jesus had long hair. I mean, you can't fool us. We've seen the pictures. For all we know, Jesus could have stayed two extra days so he didn't have to give up his tickets to Six Flags over Jesus. We don't know, and John doesn't say, and John doesn't give it any reason for Jesus' delay. Not that we'd buy it anyway. I mean, as far as we're concerned, when death honks the horn, you better jump in your assigned seat. Now, everybody in Bethany understood what was going on. And you could hear it in their voice after Lazarus dies. And finally, Jesus does put an appearance. Lord, if you'd been here, my brother wouldn't have died. Well, that's ouch. Those are the first words out of Martha's mouth. And then later, Mary, who'd been at the house, hears that Jesus is calling for her. And she comes, and the first thing that she says is, Lord, look, if you hadn't, 
been messing around brushing your teeth. My, 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 brother's, my brother wouldn't have died. Oh, well, good to see you too. Mary's crying, which John says causes Jesus to start crying. And everybody sees how upset he is. See how he loved him. But, but, but some people said, could not he who opened the eyes of the blind kept this man from dying? I mean, right? I mean, if Jesus had the power to fix things this whole time, why didn't he just go ahead and do it? I mean, without all the theatrics of showing up late, only to do what he would have done before Lazarus shuffled off this mortal coil. I mean, just you know, save everybody the grief. Himself, too, apparently. Because Jesus is grieving. I mean, along with everybody else, one of his best friends dies, and he's pretty tore up over the situation. But, but, but all anybody can do is just pile on. Oh, how nice of you to show up. Kind of like, like your passive-aggressive Aunt Doris. You know, if you'd been here, <laughs> you'd come when we called. This might not have happened, but I guess we're all just going to have to be okay with Lazarus being dead now. See, the underlying message is you got to be really insensitive to do what you did. I mean, there's just really not an excuse. If death says jump, well, you better ask how high. And that makes sense, doesn't it? I mean, it goes beyond mere astonishment and runs headlong into downright irritation. Seriously, how, how, how can Jesus be so insensitive? But you see, maybe what John wants us to understand is that Jesus knows something that we don't know. So perhaps Jesus isn't as impressed with death as our world is. One time I was in a meeting with, uh, with John McClure, former homiletics professor at Louisville Presbyterian Seminary, and he was talking to us about uh, where he thought the future of preaching was headed in the next 10 to 20 years, and what kind of issues preachers would be dealing with. After his presentation, <clears throat> during the question and answer time, I, I asked the question, I said, um, and, and I thought the, you know, the premise was self-evident. I said, in the aftermath of September 11th, how has the context for preaching changed? And he said, <clears throat> it hasn't. <laughs> as horrible as 9-11 was, the context for preaching remains the same. The world is sick and needs healing. That was true before September 11th, and it is just as true today. But do you hear what my question implied? That the attacks on the World Trade Center and the Pentagon were so outrageous, and we were thrown for such a loop by them, that somehow the whole world was fundamentally altered in some way. Like, everything's different now. Life is never going to be the same. You know, the kind of things that we say, standing in the wake of great cataclysms, searching among the rubble for old keepsakes from grandma's hope chest, and the photographs of the kids in their Christmas pajamas. Death, the argument goes, has visited us on our home field 
And we have no choice but to drop what we're doing and rush to accommodate our lives to this reality. Death has shrieked its shrill voice in our midst, and we have no more urgent task than rearranging our schedules, understanding, and lives to adapt to it. Look, honey, just forget about ironing the towels and vacuuming the dog. The zombie apocalypse is here. Lord, the, the, the one whom you love is ill. Hurry up. I mean, things are going bananas around here. Drop what you're doing and get us out of this business. And Jesus says, yeah, I'll be with you in a minute. But while Jesus tarries, the world caves in. Lord, if, you, if you'd been here, my brother wouldn't have died. Yeah, your brother will rise again. Well, I know that. I know that he will rise again in the resurrection on the last day. And what does Jesus say by way of response? I am the resurrection and the life. But you still don't get it, do you? Resurrection isn't some pie in the sky by and by. It isn't a faraway theological concept that only makes sense in some eschatological never-never land. Whenever I walk into the room, death takes a vacation. That's how it is. Do you see? In a world resigned to death leading us around by the nose, Jesus can't help but appear offensive to us. I mean, it's almost impossible to imagine anyone being less impressed by death than we are. Everybody ought to cower before the hooded dude with the scythe. It's just common sense. Lord, if you'd been here, my brother wouldn't have died. I mean, hold your horses. I'll, I, I got a couple errands I got to do first. But, but, but Lord, death is running roughshod over our world. Our kids are killing each other at school. I mean, black people face an epidemic of persecution and violence in a country where many white people swear up and down that they don't see color, that everybody's equal, and that they don't have a racist bone in their bodies. The Russian military and the folks in charge appear to have taken out personal service contracts with the prince of murder. And of course, we, we, we have our own legislators in Frankfurt who are more concerned with whether students go to the right bathroom than when, whether they have enough food when they can't get to the lunchroom. Or a shower when they can't get to the locker room. See, we live in a world where the only way some people believe they can further their cause is to get their hands on a firearm to take out their frustrations with a life that they no longer understand, bringing with them a host of innocents in the process. Lazarus is dead. What are we supposed to do? And Jesus says, well, take away the stone. And Martha, I think, trying to maintain some sense of decorum and dignity, says, Look, thanks for all you're doing. I mean, really, we, we appreciate this. I mean, even if it is a little late. Uh, but no, that's all water under the bridge. But Lord, look, the only thing left to be done now is to pick up a bucket of chicken at KFC and bring Grandma's lime jello ring with pears and cottage cheese in the middle. Because, I mean, it's been four days, Lord. And uh, as the King James says, he stinketh. 
And Jesus shakes his head and he says, did I not tell you that if you believed, you would see the glory of God? See, at present, you've got no way of seeing the world the way I see the world. You're cowed by things that I'm unimpressed by. Death doesn't even have a life of its own. Death is a parasite that sucks life to feed its rapacious hunger. And we live with the belief that it is death and not God, so often, who orders our days. But Lord, look, I get it, okay? I know the world is filled with the pain and terror that death uses to get his way. I, I know that the world often feels forbidding and cold, that the sky may fall without advance warning. I mean, I understand, I do. But who's in charge around here anyway? I mean, that's, that's why I showed up. Lazarus, come out. And that's just it, isn't it? I mean, we who live in the land of the free find it easy to convince ourselves that most of the time we're in control of our own lives and that nothing or nobody gives us any orders. But the lives we live, we often live in fear. We try to push it out of our minds, but deep down we know that death calls the tune to which we dance. And death's definitely not fixing his hair in the bathroom when he has this nasty work to do. Instead, death is amazingly efficient, a productivity genius. Uh, Mr. and Mrs. Smith, uh, we're with the police department, and I'm afraid I have some bad news for you. I'm sorry to call you at home like this, but um, something showed up in your blood work, and the doctor would like to speak with you in his office. Ladies and gentlemen, we have some late-breaking news from New York City or Moscow, from Beijing, from Darfur, from down the road. Lord, he whom you love is ill. Oh, thanks. I I'll get to it when I can. And and, and, and it's just so baffling, isn't it, Jesus? I mean, come on. How can you remain unimpressed by the devastation the angel of death is wreaking on us? How can you not dance to his tune? Right? It's all the rage. But Jesus appears so incomprehensible because we live in a world where Easter often means nothing more important than pastel colors and daffodils in spring. A world in which death still calls the shots, but we often hide that fact from ourselves by wrapping everything in pastel colors. See, we live in a world in which, all protestations to the contrary notwithstanding, Good Friday still trumps Easter. A world where children die in the night and single mothers looking for a way to feed their hungry families are told that they're only reaping the harvest of their bad choices. Black people must walk the streets in fear. LGBTQ people have to live with one eye on the folks in charge just to make sure they don't start trying to roll back the advances that have already been made. And the elderly have to decide whether their medication or having heat is more important at the end of the month. Death too often calls the tune to which, sad to say, so many of us feel compelled to take the dance floor. But I got news for you. 
Regardless of how it looks to us at the present or who we think is in charge, Jesus is almost finished with this Lenten journey. And while the path that he takes will ultimately lead him to a garbage dump on the edge of town called the Place of the Skull, the truth of the faith we profess is that that dump, which too casually deals in the art of death, is not his final destination. And perhaps just as importantly, the people who design and maintain the systems of domination that do death's bidding will see their jobs downsized in the new world that God is creating. All the tricks in death's magic bag, racism, xenophobia, misogyny, homophobia, fear of the stranger, hatred of the different, suspicion of the unfamiliar, all of that will finally be seen by everyone for what truly is the tool of evil, the power apparatus of the wicked. Ultimately, all of those things are nothing, trying desperately to be something. If you still think death is in charge in this world, let me suggest to you, in two weeks, we're fixing to have a little party here to announce who's really in charge around here. Everybody's invited, except death, of course. On Easter, it's his turn to dance to our tune. Amen. Thanks again for tuning in to the Douglas Boulevard Christian Church Podcast. If you liked what you heard, please rate the podcast on iTunes, retweet the link, or just tell your friends. Godspeed until next time on the Douglas Boulevard Christian Church Podcast.